Welcome to the Meant for Good podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Holbrook, and I believe that each of us have been given gifts, dreams, skills, and ideas that we're meant to share with each other. My goal is to share stories that challenge and inspire you and I to connect with people around us because we are meant for good. And we're back on the Mint for Good podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Holbrook, and today I'm so excited to have my friend Matt Knowles on the show. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Hannah. I love your podcast. I'm excited to talk. It's going to be fun. Awesome. I'm excited too. And you've got some really fun things that you've been working on and some great stories and you created a YouTube channel called Minds on Guard. Yeah. I know that you're doing a lot of work to help people think and ask questions about what's happening around them, things they're being exposed to, and just develop a better understanding of the world, right? That's the goal, yeah. It was spawned really more out of a desperate need than anything for a lot of things that I was seeing, a lot of them in myself as well. So yeah, we can talk about that if you want, the evolution of it and the inception of it. That's in my questions. And also, you're a musician, you're a guitarist, you spend a lot of time playing music and and learning about music, and you also repair instruments. Yes, that is a a way that I try to, one, make money, and also it's an avenue that I view as a a service to the community here in the town that we live in. Um, I'm based in Nashville, (laughs) so it's a guitar town, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of work and a lot of repair that needs to be done. And again, we can talk about why and all of that stuff if you have specific questions, but mostly I did it to fill a need that I saw. So Cool. I think it would be fun for you to share some stories. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, I remember some stories about you playing on cruise ships and that totally blew my mind because (laughs) when I met you, you know, we were studying the Bible with this group and, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew you in that context and I knew you were a musician. Yep. And then I would hear these stories about you traveling and, you know, being on these cruise ships and crazy things that happened. And it'd be fun to hear a little of your story, like how you started out with music, how you got out on these ships and how you got to Nashville and then how you got to where you are now. Cool. Uh, I guess I can start from childhood. I was raised in a mostly musical household. My mom is a singer. My dad doesn't really do music, but he loves music. He played saxophone in high school, so he has a bone for it. Like, it's sort of inside him somewhere that he has a musical ability. He also sang in the church choir and was a, actually really good. Like, he, he has a really great ear. And I grew up singing in our church choir. I actually was trained through what was called the Royal School of Church Music, which is uh, mostly affiliated with like the Anglican Church and the Episcopal or Catholic churches. I believe the director of, at least at the time when I was a kid, the director of the National Cathedral, the choir director there was like a real big person in that sort of association. And my mom got into it. She actually ran a summer camp for boy choristers, like where a bunch of kids would come to Tulsa I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they would all fly, I mean, I think from all over the world, if I remember right. And we'd learn masses by like Bach and Beethoven and Mendelssohn and all these other really amazing composers, you know, and we were all like boy sopranos and altos and then a couple tenors. Um, And then we'd perform them on Sunday at these cathedrals in Tulsa. 
that was like the beginning of my music instruction. So it was always there. I started when I was like eight years old singing. And then around 14 or 15, got a guitar and joined the jazz band in my high school. In public school, you can just sign up. It's like, yeah, there's no auditions. <laughs> and so it's just like, you just you just say, yeah, I want to take that class. And so you're just in there. And it was me and like 10 other guitar players <laughs> in this high school jazz band, which is hilarious to think about. And, you know, like, <laughs> one, like one trumpet and two saxophones. And like, it's just like a really silly instrumentation of a of a big band but the repertoire was amazing the the band director jim kirk at booker t in tulsa he was toward the end of his tenure there but i mean he taught my mom when she went to high school there so like it was he'd been there for a long time and he developed a really awesome repertoire for the band i got exposed to duke ellington i remember learning one year he spent the entire year's budget on acquiring the Lincoln Center Library's full arrangements of the Duke Ellington Orchestra music. So we had access to all that stuff when I was like 15, which was <laughs> which was really cool. I don't even think college bands have some of that stuff. And so that was dope. I you know, I played guitar through high school. There was also one kid in the jazz band who was a massive Django Reinhardt aficionado. He was a super fan of Django. And hanging out next to him and listening to him play, he had all that stuff. He transcribed it by the time he was like 17 and was like, he was playing in a gypsy band in town all over at these restaurants and stuff. And I heard that and started getting into Django and it blew my mind. It was like, oh my God, a guitar can sound like this. I didn't know you could make music on a guitar like this. All I'd ever heard really up to that point was like Dave Matthews and like pop music and stuff like that. And like, that was my reference for guitar. I didn't even really listen to rock and roll at that time. It was very much just like acoustic rock or something like that. And then Django hit. And for those that actually watch the Minds on Guard videos, you can spy a gypsy guitar in the background. And like, that's, it's one of those things. I don't play it anymore, but it's like, it's just sort of part of who I am and what I've done with music and learned that stuff. So I got way into that and just was like, I'm going to play guitar. I'm going to be a jazz guitarist. And that didn't really work out <laughs> because, oh. because of um, various personal lifestyle choices. I, I was always kind of a lazy kid, you know, loved guitar, but kind of loved guitar because it was fun and I could go hang out with my buddies and we could get into trouble and play music and I could avoid responsibility. And, <laughs> and, it, was, and it was a lot of fun to play guitar. So, yeah. Um, I messed around and bounced around, lived in Utah for a little while with some lofty dreams of eventually making it to New York to try to learn to play jazz there. Ended up not doing that, kind of spending all my money on skiing and partying (laughs) and stuff like that in Utah. And then realized like, hey, I need to do something with my life as far as if I'm going to actually play music, I need to find a way to do it professionally. And so one day I quit my job I was working at a grocery store. I just quit and found a number. This is back in the day, like smartphones weren't really a thing yet. We also had flip phones, like popular kids and rich kids had smartphones, but I wasn't one of those kids. <laughs> so I found a link on Carnival Cruise Line's website that just, you know, at the, at the bottom of their book a cruise page, <laughs> there's a little tiny tab that says careers. And I followed that through a couple links to their entertainment division and found a phone number to call 
called it and within a couple days had gotten an email and said, hey, yeah, if you want to audition, we'll send you some info and we'll see if it's right for you. And I did that. And funnily enough, I mean, I tell this story sometimes and it's really funny to me now because we have, I mean, you and I are talking via video chat and we've got microphones and interfaces and super nice cameras that like record in 4k and all this stuff and i literally got a phone call on my razor flip phone from a guy and auditioned in my living room by just setting the phone on the coffee table (laughs) (laughs) and and he he was like yeah just play i'll hear what you got it's like all right cool man like i still look back and i'm like he had no idea that it was me it could have been somebody else (laughs) <laughs> in that room <laughs> but anyway I did it and he was like yeah we got a ship for you so I went out I was 21 and it was like oh great this is awesome I get paid to travel I get paid to play and all of that responsibility that was creeping up real fast like yeah it, it's gone <laughs> it's, it, it's, it is a thing of the past so like yeah I stayed out there for five years and if anybody out there that I had met from that time in my life is listening to this, I hope they listen to this. I don't know if they ever will, but if they do, I still love all of you. But, you know, we were all in a bit of a mess out there. <laughs> and, I think, <laughs> and I think we can all admit that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, five years living out there was a lot of fun. I essentially, I didn't have a college experience and that sort of served as one in many respects and it also served as a really amazing way to spend my early 20s because I did travel. I saw some really amazing places. I got to go to Australia and all of the Pacific Islands over there. I got to travel over the Caribbean and South America and really even on the ship is a form of travel in itself even though you're on the ship and you can't really go anywhere but the people that you live and work with are from literally every country in the world. So you hang with these people and you cross paths with and live with, eat with and drink with and all kinds of stuff with these people that you would never meet if you just stayed in Oklahoma or Nashville. I remember meeting one guy, you know, he was working in the staff mess, which is where we, as as musicians, you're considered staff. So you have your own mess hall. And in that mess hall, they have waiters that will come and bust your tables and stuff. And they'll take orders where you can get like fried eggs or like chicken breasts or something like that. And this guy was just, he was part of the wait staff. And I remember sparking up a conversation with him. And he had a doctorate degree in mathematics from a university in Macedonia. He was a PhD in mathematics. And he was bussing tables on a cruise ship in the staff mess, not even in like where the guests are. He had to work his way up to that. But he was using that as a springboard for him to save up money and build up work experience so that he could get a visa to go live in the U.S. and pursue oh. mathematics. And so it's like a wild experience in a wild environment like that where you meet people who have these crazy skills and they're super smart. And then there's also people that, you know, they're using it to pay for their families and provide them a really amazing life. Like a ton of the people that live and work on cruise ships, I think it's probably like 50 to 60% of them are all from either the Philippines or Indonesia. And that's a massive industry for those countries. There was one family that I remember, they were all musicians and there were probably 30 members of this family 
that all lived and worked on various ships that I met. It was one of those things that I would go to a new ship and I would meet one, uh, like a guitarist or a piano player or a singer, and they would have this l- the last name Baranda. And I'd be like, are you like related to Cyrus? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's my granddad or he's my uncle or he's like, he's my dad or something like that. And it was this like whole like dynasty of cruise ship musicians. And I knew Cyrus, like the the sort of patriarch of this whole thing. And he'd been working on the ship since like the 70s. And it was like this crazy thing where like it essentially created generational wealth within this family and which is a really wild thing to think about like this this industry did for the for people in other countries it wouldn't do that here because you just don't make enough money to do it but in the Philippines pretty lucrative dude that is wild yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool um, I'm loving this story <laughs> yeah I mean it's like we ha- I have a lot more that are not you know, podcast friendly, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it really was a, an amazing experience and I met a ton of people. I learned a lot about the world and about myself and really about what I didn't like about myself really by the end, because like I said, I went out there to, with the initial goal of going to learn how to play music and going to, you know, make a living as a musician. But underneath that was definitely an avoidance of a lot of things and a fear of responsibility and ownership. You know, I've loved the episodes that you have made with Shane. For the listeners, I'm also a student of Shane's. And before we got on this podcast, we were talking about how much we love and care about Shane and how much he's meant to us. And the things that he's brought out of us are incredibly meaningful. And one of them for me was this realization of the avoidance of the responsibility to take ownership of my life and the things that mm. matter to actually discover the things that matter to me in my life. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, by the end of the of the ship tenure, it was getting pretty clear that I needed to figure some stuff out. So uh, my brother is also a musician and he went to Belmont University. Uh, he's younger than me, but he went to Belmont in Nashville and I had kind of decided like, hey, I was going to get off the ships. Like, it's about time for me to go. And I just reached out to him. I was like, what's Nashville like, man? I don't I don't want to go back to Tulsa. Like, there's nothing for me there. Just a lot of pain and heartache. There's a lot in my past in Tulsa. It was a really cool place to grow up. But, you know, as many, many stories go, a lot of times the places that you have your formative years, they they leave scars and pretty deep ones. So that that's part of my story there, and, and I didn't want to go back there. So my brother was here, and actually my dad had just moved here as well. He sold our house in Tulsa, picked up and moved closer to where he could be near his kid, at least the one that was landlocked <laughs> at the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, both my brother and my dad are here. I might as well see what's going on. I got some money to burn that I had, you know, saved up from the ship gig, so let's see what it's like. And I moved here and basically just fell in love with the music industry and the music scene. It was everything I was looking for as far as like, oh, I can just go here and be a guitarist and I can make a living and this will be great. I love this. It's cheap. It's creative. There's tons of cool people here. There's tons of creative people here. And Nashville gets billed as a country music town and it very much is that. But there's a lot more in Nashville as far as like there's an incredibly rich jazz scene there's an incredibly rich R&B scene 
there's an incredibly rich soul scene inside that and the americana scene songwriter singer songwriters and all of that stuff essentially like you know wonder bread soul <laughs> in a lot <laughs> in a lot of ways uh the gospel music here is as high of a level as it is in any place in the world and i play at a church where that's the kind of music that we play every week and i'm really fulfilled in that i've been playing with the same five guys for about six years now and it's a really special part of my life i love it a lot how long ago did you come here i moved right in the middle of like 2015 and i was kind of in and out i was in a relationship at the time and we were kind of working out what was going on there and it it ended up falling apart just due to distance and some poor choices on my part and a few other things so i say 2015 was when i kind of got here but i didn't really land and like make it like a thing until 2016 so it's about six years now six or what is what year are we in six or seven years i don't know yeah 23 now (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm a musician i'm not a math mathematician so i can't yeah seven years (laughs) yeah which is silly because all musicians are mathematicians anyway (laughs) that's right (laughs) but yeah so 2016 i'd say which is now i think about that that's wild i've been here longer than i was on cruise ships so that was such a large portion of my life that it's weird to think about there's been more now on the on the back end of it and yeah that's cool wow (laughs) yeah dude that's about the same time i moved here too okay i'd been coming here kind of off and on yeah before then but officially it was like all right i'm doing it i'm moving here yeah and you were with your your family band right or or was that did you move on your own and the band kind of came here or what was the deal there no, that was a group decision. We okay. were all like, hey, we're going out there all the time anyway. Okay. You know, let's just make the move official. So we did. Nice. Yeah, similar timeline. I get it. There were good things happening in Nashville. There were. It was like, yeah. it was it was blowing up. And yeah. you and I were part of that like first wave, I suppose, or maybe second wave of like real. I think my brother was part of the first wave. He, he got here a little before I did. And yeah. I think we kind of rode that second wave into the explosion of Nashville. Seriously. And my God, is it different now? Like, I drove downtown the other day and I'm going downtown tomorrow evening for a gig. And I'm like, oh God, I got to update my map and see what's going on. <laughs> this is wild. So That's right. Find the best route around everything. <laughs> yeah. And figure out how to park and see if you might be able to, <laughs> yeah, not get your car towed. Man. So you got here and... 2016-ish mm-hmm. and started finding gigs, making connections, meeting people. Yep. That was a thing. It just was, you know, pretty organic. I luckily was like dropped into my brother's network of people. Having him here was a real blessing because he knew people from the Belmont scene who know people from the whole scene of Nashville because it's kind of just the way it works. When you're in a college, you're hanging out with everybody and people are all getting gigs around the same time. And I'm only four years older than him. So the people that he was hanging out with were all kind of around the same age. And it was all kind of a really organic just experience of meeting and being sort of plugged in to a scene. And um, it was cool. That was when I met Shane too. I think I know that God sort of guided me. It was one of those things where I knew that I needed some help with my guitar playing. And for those of you who've listened to Shane, his mind is just so deep. And if you can imagine, it's that deep and sometimes deeper on the guitar. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's really amazing. I just spoke to him earlier today and he played for me and it was like, man, I 
God, I love listening to you play. It's the best. It was just so, it's one of those things where like you listen to him and I could literally see a place. I could like, there was imagery that was forming in front of, in front of my eyes and like all the way down to really detailed things of like smells almost of, <laughs> of like, yeah. like this really vivid imagery just from a guy playing solo guitar. Anyway, I could talk about yes. that stuff all the time. But I've experienced that yeah, too. That is so cool. It's rad. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, I reached out to a couple friends of mine and I was like, hey, do you guys know anybody that can like help teach me to not suck at playing guitar? <laughs> and they said, oh, you got to study with Shane. And um, okay, cool. I'll reach out to him. And I got into his studio and really quickly it <laughs> i think it's important as far as like if we're going to get to talking about like minds on guard and stuff like that i do want to tell the story of like my first two lessons with shane because like it's pretty eye-opening at least it still is to me and um anyway i got in there and I, he's like so you know what do you want to do what do you want to learn and we kind of talked and i said i want to learn how to play better i want to be deep and free on the instrument and all these things and i want to play guitar, you know? And so he gave me an assignment to go run scales, horizontal scales up and down the instrument. And I went home and did something that was <laughs> like an approximation of what he gave me, but it was very different. It was my own little version that was a little easier to hang on to and sort of like let myself feel good about the week came back the next week and he was like, what'd you do? I was like, man, I worked on that stuff you gave me. I feel pretty good about it. And he goes, great, show me. And I ate <laughs> I'm going to bleep that yeah. out. <laughs> I don't know what to say there. It's going to be like... hilarious. <laughs> it was okay. awful. It was awful. I just, I, it was like I fell straight on my face. I couldn't do the first bit well or in a, even close to what he had assigned and he stopped me real quick and was just like so uh that's not what i told you to do <laughs> and <laughs> and i'm like no it's not he's like you told me you did that it's like yeah i did why did you lie to me <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember if he actually said those words. He may have said those words, but it was very much a direct like, so why did you tell me that you did it when you hadn't done it? And I think that was one of the first times, at least in my adult life, where I had someone in a position who I had paid for their instruction and for them to be in my life in that manner, for them to actually give me a direct question about like an underlying thing. And for whatever reason, and I always look back and I'm like, I do think that it's it was the Holy Spirit just sort of softening my heart instead of me responding like, hey, man, you know, screw you. I'm paying like that kind of thing. It was it was one of those things of like, dude, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I said that. And it was kind of that thing of like, well, great. I guess we know what we need to work on then. Well. <laughs> That was really eye-opening, and I look back on it with actually quite a bit of fondness because it, it was a moment that was like, this is different, and something about this space is valuable and incredibly valuable. Not just one of those moments where it's like, well, that sucked, or like, you know, maybe I could do better next time. It's like, no, this is, something happened here, and I've never experienced it before, and that was definitely pivotal 
it took a long time to get to where I am now, but it was one of those like high watermarks or at least like a, a very impactful moment that sort of set the tone for the trajectory of the next six years, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. He cared about you. He did. You know, I don't think I knew that in that moment, but it became very clear very quickly that that was what was driving all of the things that he was doing. So even just in asking that question, it wasn't like a thing of like, hey man, what what's the deal? What the hell? Why'd you do that? It was very much like, well, this isn't good. Like, so we need to figure out why and not from a place that's on high, from a place that I want to help you figure out why. And I want to help you not do it anymore because you're not going to learn if you're going to do that. You're not going to get better. You're not going to do things that are meaningful. You're not going to pursue things that are meaningful. You're just going to lie to people and (laughs) continue to avoid responsibility. And he could have just sat there and been like, well, all right, I guess I'll teach you again. Or like, well, figure it out in front of me now. But instead it was like, let's figure out the thing that's holding you back and help you see it and understand it. Yeah, and it was that's, that core thing. What a great example of love. That's so rare to find. And often when we're confronted or held accountable in situations like that, I know I can get defensive and think I'm being attacked. He was doing the opposite of that. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Caring for you. He was. I'm truly grateful for that. That's my initial experience as one of Shane's students powerful yeah so here you were you know you had been on these cruise ships you had avoided a lot of responsibility and Mm -hmm. like had a lot of fun had some good experiences then you come to nashville and you're kind of wanting to improve and grow and it seems like you're wanting to start taking more responsibility for your life something in you is wanting that yeah it was definitely a latent thing you know it's one of those things that has been a real struggle to sort of bring out and once again this whole podcast might just be me talking about how Shane's helped, but it's, it's, that's okay. <laughs> Through the weeks of hanging with Shane and talking to him and him really, you know, at times kicking my <laughs> in a good way. You know, I would never say that Shane was coming down on me from any place other than what we just talked about. But sometimes love needs to be tough. Sometimes it needs to be direct and sometimes forceful. I learned that a long time ago. And I've even when it's painful, I've never had any type of animosity towards Shane for doing any of those things. But it's been a struggle for many years for me to recognize the amount of laziness that I have inside me that has driven me, actually. A lot of my desires come from this place of entitlement and arrogance and this really, really rough place that just seeks comfort. You know, I think in one of your episodes with Shane, you guys talked about this driver for comfort and I'm addicted to it. You know, I'm not like what you'd call like a classically identifiable drug addict. I experimented a lot in my high school ages and 20s, but I don't have like substance abuse problems, but I do have dopamine abuse problems. (laughs) Like um, if that makes sense. (laughs) I Uh, think a lot of us can probably relate. (laughs) I bet. So like I'm an addict for, I'm a a dopamine addict and I, I have those kinds of things that operate in me all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think like a drug addict. So I'm always looking for the next escape and looking for the next high and looking for the next sort of thing. And that's been a real struggle to come to terms with and rein in and try to um, filter or push into areas that are productive instead of destructive. 
over the years studying with Shane, we would always talk about things. I mean, to be honest, I, I came to belief in Christ through Shane's help. I told you I was a bit of a partier and I've experimented and all that stuff. I went through some really painful times of loss, death, and not, I didn't die, but like, like people around me died, people that I was close to and people that I cared about, and some really tough questions and eventually came to Christ as really the way towards peace in my life and the way towards truth and realization that, oh, all these things that I've been looking for, these things that I've been afraid of, I don't have to be afraid of them, and there's a way to find them. And it's through devotion to Him and through working and pursuing my purpose as someone who was created by Him, who's loved by Him, and is here to serve Him with everything mm-hmm. I can be and all I can all I can do, you know, my heart, soul, and mind. That's been a really amazing thing to discover. And it's been through studying with Shane and, and asking these kinds of questions in the Bible study that we meet together and how we met— So yeah, it was over a few years discovering what I valued, what I cared about, asking those questions. And then I lost my grandfather. He passed away in 2019, I believe, spring of 2019. He was a really amazing man. There's a lot of stories about that guy, but I talked to Shane about him a lot. And um, he was a person who did not shy away from responsibility. He was a person who really gave a sh** <laughs> and, like, and really cared about people and cared about loving people. He was a kind man. Uh, he was a product of his time and I think toward the end of his life was really suffering from a lot of pain and all kinds of things. So he was a bit rough at that time and I, I think even through his life was, you know, rough compared to what people would want in today's world, you know. There's a lot of softness in the world today, and my granddad was not soft. He was he was a uh, he was a hardcore dude. I think about him pretty much every day, and it, it's been one of those things since losing him. I've had this drive in me to adopt more of the way he lived and the way he sort of thought and cared about people and cared about God and just the way he he carried himself. And that led to more and more questions and thinking and digging into what I cared about through talking with Shane. And Shane actually encouraged me to try to start talking about some of the things I cared about. You know, we all went through a pretty wild time over the last three years. We're still going through it. And I've just seen so much really troubling stuff in the world. And I've seen it mostly in myself and then, you know, outcropped to those around me. But really, it started with all of this stuff is happening within me. And if I ask the questions and I look at myself, I find the answers that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think well. I'm programmed to think a certain way, to view the world through certain lenses, to respond to certain things in the world in certain ways. And that really shocked me. It was like, oh my God, I don't have control of my own thoughts. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, this is bad. And if I don't have control of my thoughts, who does? (laughs) Like, that's a big deal. I wanted to start asking those questions. So that was like the almost inspiration or inception of Minds on Guard. It was 
a project to start asking those kinds of questions, like how well do I understand the world? How well do I understand what it means to understand the world? <laughs> like, Do I even know what it means to understand things? Do I know what it means to ascertain truth? Do I know what it means to even define that? Through a lot of study with Shane, we've talked about things like postmodernism and relativistic thinking and materialism and essentially nihilism as well. And like a lot of really problematic ways of viewing the world. And I saw it all within myself. So I started asking questions and just writing thoughts and reading and trying to think about things. And I started recording it. And it was like, okay, this is a project. And it was really a thing to spur on action in my life and taking up the responsibility of changing things and doing something instead of passively living in this way that is really giving up the control of my thoughts. Because every day that goes by that I don't engage with deeper questions and, you know, scripture calls us to hold every thought captive and, and really mm -hmm. examine ourselves and see if we're living in alignment with the will of God and test those things and, and submit when we're not and rise to the occasion of when we need to, and which is all the time. So, it started as kind of that. It was like, I need to do something with myself. I need to start applying the things I've been learning. I need to put effort towards actually engaging with the deeper level materials and the deeper questions of who I am and what I'm doing and how I understand reality in the world. And this kind of coincided right along the time when Shane was creating the Frontisterium as well. So that was really spurring a lot of thought. And he was encouraging me as like, hey, man, you can do something like this, too. If you want to do something, you got to just go do it. So it was definitely that thing of like, well, I love what he's doing. And, you know, I'm not as deep as what he's presenting here. I don't have all of this stuff at the levels that he's got. But what I do have, I can at least present in, in my understanding. And maybe it'll start getting deeper. Maybe it'll start getting more ingrained and maybe I'll start seeing questions that I didn't know were there before. And so I just started making a video and then I was like, I'll make another one. I'll make another one. And before I knew it, I had like 25 videos that I'd made one every week. I was like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. That's like half a year. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, well, cool. Maybe I can just keep making videos. So it's been a little over a year now, probably about 13 months of making one video every week where I sit down on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, and decide on what I want to think about, write about, and talk about. I'll research it and write a script between Monday and Wednesday afternoon. And then typically Wednesday nights, I'll record a video. And by Friday, I post it on YouTube. I've got a long line of them that are waiting to sort of go live and be published or whatever. But that's been the project for the last year. It's all designed to really help people learn to think better, think about thinking better. And then I'm eventually going to start presenting some of the broader historical narratives that have defined the last century of mostly American life, but international stuff is covered as well, like at least Western society, as far as large-scale moves that were made to dumb us down through the education system, moves such as well, the major foundations that paid for a lot of that stuff, the propaganda networks that were formed, and then, yeah, some deeper philosophical stuff. There's some spiritual stuff in there as well. I tell a little bit more of my personal testimony and story. So it's a whole thing. <laughs> 
I love that. Yeah. And, you know, recently you came up on a year of making these videos. Yeah. So congratulations thanks. on that. That's, thanks. Yeah. Th thanks a lot. It kind of happened and it was like, whoa, I did that. Okay, cool. You know, yes. as far as that, you know, whole theme of taking ownership for the responsibility of doing things and like getting after just staying true or at least not not being swayed by life to sort of knock you off a trajectory or knock you off a thing that you've decided to do. It's really easy to do that. I've started so many things, so many things, mm -hmm. and never finished them. It's been a cool thing because I'm still doing it. I'm, you know, I'm not done with it, but to make it a year of consistency was a real big deal for me, and you know, especially if we think about what I sort of explained before, about my avoidance of responsibility and my avoidance of essentially caring about doing anything with myself. I do love guitar and I, I could probably make another living at doing that. And I do make a living doing that in many respects, but I never devoted myself to the deeper parts of it, the depths of really knowing the instrument. You know, if we talk about how Shane plays music that way, I've never come close to finishing an assignment or finishing something that it's weird even saying that because finishing isn't even the thing. It's like, it's, it's devoting yourself yes. to a thing. It's, it's loving something for the sake of it, loving, loving something for its own sake and valuing it for its own sake. And, you know, I guess it's meant for good. Right. And we go deep here, but like valuing it because it exists for a reason even if we don't know what that reason is, God does. And if it's here, his reasons are perfect. And we should, you know, we should at least acknowledge that and find the value in that. And yeah, that's, that's a thing. That's a really big deal to me at this point in my life. I was thinking about, about it today. It's like, what if I actually went and played guitar again like that? What if I picked it back up yes! and went deep? <laughs> Minds on guard would stop for a little while, but but maybe, I don't know, maybe I can make it all happen. I bet you could. Yeah, it'd be something to try for sure. That's inspiring me too. Oh man, so many thoughts after what you just shared. <laughs> and for our listeners, take a lesson from Matt here, especially if you have a hard time starting something and finishing it that consistent weekly dedication. Yeah. It's not that you had to do that every single day, but you set the days aside. You took stock of what it took to create it in the first place and to create it consistently. And you set that time aside and that was very intentional and mm -hmm. you dedicated and it's, you know, really paid off for you. And it's an awesome service that you're offering by creating this content and sharing it with other people. And now people can go there and learn more about asking questions and asking the kind of questions that can help them develop a deeper understanding about anything. Yeah. You know, they can understand that about the content you're sharing and about what's happening in the world. And then also take those questions, take those thinking tools and apply them to anything you want to. And if there's something in your life that you really want to develop and devote to, you know, take stock of it, set the time aside, invest your heart in it and research it. That's such a great example. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. And I do want to say also that don't be discouraged by not knowing how to do something. That has been a major lesson. You know, you and I were in a book club together and we read at the beginning of the year a book called Atomic Habits. There's some really great nuggets of wisdom in that book. I started this before we read that book and Shane has taught this kind of stuff for years. But just as a note for the listeners, I didn't know how to make videos 
and posted them to YouTube before I did this. It was like, yeah. like I didn't have a camera, you know, if, my friends know that my devices are painfully out of date. It's I, like archaic. Yeah. For, for the listeners, like you can just to let you guys know, my my iPhone still has a headphone jack, and I keep it that way because I because I like it. And it's like Matt's old school. I, I'm old. Yeah, I'm old school with my iPhone and my and my. Anyway, we they don't need to do all that stuff, but. I didn't know how to do that stuff. I didn't know what it took to do that, you know. So for you, when you say that I intentionally set that time aside, it was like, well, I didn't know what that was going to look like when I started. It was very much mm-hmm. like, a, okay, I'm going to try this and I'm probably going to suck at it for a while. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's really interesting. Shane talked to me and a few people have talked to me about early on. It's like, what videos are you going to post? Are you going to make some and then post them? And part of this was... A learning experience for me so I just decided it was like no I'm gonna post every one I've made it doesn't matter I'm gonna say you know the first ones are weird and I suck at talking on camera the lighting's not great <laughs> I don't know I don't have my levels worked out I don't have my framing worked out I say um a lot <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean like that kind of thing but I want to present that to the world as a thing of like it's a deeper layer of this. And even if it gets noticed, I don't care. It's part of it that I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know what it took. I've never done it. I'm going to try and I'm going to learn and I'm going to document that learning process as well. And so for those that can see that and see the progression, I hope they're able to sort of track that part of it too. So that part is also important. Don't be afraid to just pick something and suck at it <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and like learn what it takes to set the time aside to learn the small bits that then turn into bigger bits that then turn into a year of producing something that you've put energy and time and love and care into and pain into and you know had to miss out on a couple things for <laughs> for and it's like yeah it's that that part is important too so that's just something mm-hmm. I wanted to mention as an as a appendix to what you said, because what you said is true. Oh. I had a thought when you were talking about avoiding responsibility earlier on and coming to this realization that you could dedicate your life and your time and your resources to certain things you could commit, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've had similar realizations, even thinking that I've really invested in something and then zooming out and saying, oh, no, I'm still playing it safe. I'm doing the bare minimum over here. My heart is not completely in this thing because I'm scared of failing. And so I'm I'm like walking the line of like, this is the minimum I can contribute without failing. Mm -hmm. And or if it does fail, it's not going to hurt me too bad, you know, and just like really holding back. I think probably a lot of people wrestle with this kind of stuff and uh just curious where you think that comes from and if it's part of kind of the programming of our generation maybe the programming of the generation before us because it's very different than the way you described your grandfather very much so i do think that that is a part of the programming that we have been subjected to there's always special cases there are standouts in the world and i don't think anything can be applied to every single person. However, we can go ahead and say that this is a pretty ubiquitous problem. So I do think that it's part of the programming. And 
What I see is something that Shane talks about in his essays, the desire for unassailability. And there is so much wrapped up in that. I mean, there's ego, there's trauma, whether that's overt and extreme or micro versions of trauma that have happened, sort of like a a thousand cuts type of version that builds up over time into a person. Something that popped into my mind when you were describing that zooming out to the macro thing is that it's funny to me that we can create this thing in our minds that tell us that, oh, I've invested in this thing. (laughs) And, And it's like, yeah, it's like we can just boom. That's who I am. I've put on this little disguise that presents this to the world. And most of the world is trained to see the disguise and accept it as real. And we've all developed these skills of developing these clever little disguises, facades, to present our investment, our persona, our perfection, our, you know, all these, these kinds of things. And really, it is that desire for unassailability. And that's not to say that people don't accomplish things. It's not to say that people aren't really good at stuff. You can mm-hmm. go out into the world and there are people achieving things at a incredibly high level. But that thing you're talking about, I think, really is an aspect of the programming in that we are trained in today's world to do that, to create the facade, because we've been told that that's what will get us what we want, what we desire. And that is that dopamine addiction that thing Mm -hmm. and like i said man it's as soon as i start talking about this stuff it's like which direction should we go in as far as like why these things are present i'm currently in a little series that deals with the education system and what's happened there and there's crazy stuff as far as experimental psychology becoming a covert sort of pervasive thing that shifted the way we were taught. We weren't taught how to think. We were taught how to feel. And Mm -hmm. so it's like that plays out. It outcrops into your worldview and it outcrops into the way you perceive yourself. It's always in comparison to other people. I say yourself, it's it's myself. You know, like I said before, all of this stuff I was recognizing in myself, if I'm going to talk about it, I just talk about what I see in me. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. scriptural, you know, it's like, Take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to then go and help your brother. That's been a motivating thing for me and where I try to always stay when I'm doing anything with Minds on Garden. I know I don't do it perfectly, but that's that's definitely the 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 driver. But I do think it's that thing. It's we want to be perfect. We want to be unassailable and we want to build up this little reality for ourselves. And I think that that has become a thing since the advent of these technologies that are so pervasive and are so broadly connected to so many aspects of the world. Like my granddad wouldn't have had it. He was so focused on creating and building his life in where he was. I'm trying to think if there's a term for this that has been used, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's either atomization or satellization, like creating little satellites. The concept is like we become little satellites on our own, sort of drifting out in the orbit of the universe, or really of whatever world we're in, and that thing where it's all encompassed in ourselves and we kind of ping off of one another, but we create this little 
reality that is a false reality. It's a reference to itself because we sort of created ourselves. It's imperfect. And all we have to go on is what we've created. <laughs> and it's a delusion. It's totally a delusion. It's postmodernism. It's I love listening to Shane talk about it because he can articulate all of the ways that it connects. I'm still learning. And he really does he, in the essays too. He does. The essays yeah. the essays are, are the things that really connect this stuff. And you know, I'm kind of jumping all over here for the sake of not necessarily for anything other than that's where my thoughts go. They jump around a lot mm -hmm. with it. So it's programming, man. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's totally programming. <laughs> yeah. And when we say programming, these are the attitudes and ideas that we grew up with, yeah. you know, of our generation. Yeah. One of the things that I've had people buck at me whenever I use that word, family members will be like, what that, hey, that, you know, I'm not a robot. And it's like, no, I didn't say you were a robot, but our minds operate like computers. They take in information and they process it and they store it. And so whatever information you put into it is the information that you're going to have to draw and understand and create connections to then process reality. So mm -hmm. if you're constantly receiving information from a certain source or a certain ideology or a certain worldview or a certain set of behavior patterns or things that engender those behavior patterns, you are being programmed <laughs> to mm. behave in those ways. Whether that's good or bad, doesn't have to always be bad. You can be programmed and have this kind of program operating that is good. It works, it functions well, and it, and it serves people well, and it has wholesome and righteous motivations. What kind of information are you feeding yourself or allowing to be fed to you? That's the way I think about it. It takes that sort of stigma away from it as far as like... I'm being controlled somehow. Shane talks a lot about influence, both in you know the essays, and he's talked about it on the podcast as well. And that's a major component of what you're addressing it's in huge. your YouTube channel. And you're identifying the influencers so that people can question these things and decide for themselves, do I want to be influenced by this? Is this a good influence? You yeah. Know? And am I being influenced by this? And if so, how? You know, because it is so easy to passively intake information and not think about it and, and allow it to influence us. Yeah, I mean, and it's become even easier and that's by design. You talk about the passive intake of information. My goodness, like there's no time in history has that been happening on such a broad scale as it is mm -hmm. right now. So yeah, I think we should care about the things that we intake and I definitely passively intake information but you know if we can make some efforts to sort of actively take in information and decide do I want this in my mind and do I want these things exerting their influence over my thinking and my mm -hmm. understanding of the world and how I value things are they causing me to objectify people are they you know are they causing me to objectify myself there's just so many things that we have to continue to ask. And all of it is an effort to keep our minds on guard. You know, it's, I do say in a few videos, and I do believe this, that we are in what I consider to be a war for our minds. It's intense. It is a war. And we're conscripted in that fight, whether we know it or not, or whether we choose to accept that truth or not. And if you don't want to accept it, that's fine. You can do what you want. I would encourage you to think differently <laughs> because mm -hmm. I personally don't want to give up control over my thoughts and behaviors. I want to be able to be free in that because I think we're called to live freely. We were designed and gifted as imagers of God with that free will. We need to exercise it because it's a gift.
Amen. Yeah. Completely agree. This has been so great. I love the stories that you shared and it's just awesome to hear how you got here, where you came from. I learned some new things about you yeah. and I, I'm excited for some of our friends to listen to this and yeah. <laughs> learn some new things about you. It's so fun. Well, thanks. Like, I mean, I would love to know more about like your side of things. I know this was an interview on my end, but I always like hearing you share as well, Hannah. It's like, it's really, really special. Really anybody in our, in our friend group and our, our, our community. I love everybody there. And so maybe everybody can start sharing a little more. <laughs> I think that'd Amen. be great. I think that'd be great. Thanks, um, Matt. I agree. I'm, I'm going to ask a couple of the peeps to share on the podcast. I've got Palmer oh, coming cool. up here um, next week, actually. Really? Maybe released at a different time than this episode. So who knows? But <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great because you're going to do hers and mine's going to take longer to edit and you're going to release hers. <laughs> but then you're going to have to put that part in here that, yeah, she's here next week. So <laughs> I'll just edit all of this out. <laughs> It'd be great. No, but it is fun. It's really fun hearing these stories. I didn't know that you started out with music singing Bach. And oh, yeah. that is a great start. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew about what was going on with that stuff. It, it took it took learning some stuff about it from Shane to really I think back and I'm like, oh man, what was I what was I missing? This is crazy. It's so true. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these things. This has been so fun and loved hearing your thoughts about it and also just seeing, you know, how there was this part of you that knew there was more, you mm-hmm. know, and that and that wanted that. And that's inspiring to see and it's inspiring to hear about. And I think we all have that. I think we all do. And I I pray that people respond to it and I pray that people pursue it because ultimately when it's, I know that when it's directed towards helping and being edifying to people and to the world, that's the Holy Spirit calling to you. And that's that. (laughs) And I would guess it's more fulfilling than escaping the responsibility and all the fun that came along with that. It is more fulfilling. It absolutely is. There's no question about that. I have a lot more peace and a lot more joy in my life these days than I did. I, you know, I miss friends and I miss certain times and sort of like the carefree sort of attitude that happened. That was nice. You know, it was, it was a cool thing, but there's a deeper joy in this stuff that really was missing. I'm glad you found that and it's inspiring to hear about it. Amen. I hope everyone does. I hope everyone finds Christ and finds that peace and that fulfillment of loving him, being loved by him and serving him. And it's beautiful. That's the stuff. It's it's why we're here. There's nothing like it. It is why we're here. It it is. Yeah. And I love that you shared about Shane and your grandfather. You know, the podcast is called Meant for Good. And Mm. a lot of my motivation here was to share inspiring stories and to share about how we can make a difference in each other's lives. So it's always awesome to hear about people that have changed your life or impacted you for good. And that was just so perfect. So thank you for sharing all of that. (laughs) You're welcome. This has been great. I love your podcast. I love being on it and I want to support it. And yeah, I hope it just continues to grow and you get more and more people to share cool things and, and help people grow and find those things in them that are meaningful to them that let them pursue goodness and, and joy and and love. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Matt. And you're welcome. <laughs>
All right. So before we wrap up here, I want to tell people where they can go to find you and get in touch with you. Yeah. The YouTube channel is Minds on Guard. You can just search that, subscribe, watch the videos, comment on them. You know, they're they're meant for discussion. You know, I, I'm not sitting here saying I have everything figured out. I'm not in an ivory tower saying that, like, this is the only way to think, but it's my way to think. <laughs> yeah, I do want to have discussions on that, on that channel. So Minds on Guard on YouTube. I'm also going to start reposting all of the content on Rumble pretty soon under the same name, Minds on Guard. And for those of you that want to get your guitar repaired in Nashville or in the surrounding area, you can find me on Instagram at Maddie K Guitar, M-A-T-T-Y-K Guitar. Yeah, I do guitar repair as well. And that's a service that I provide really because I do want to help people. I want to help the musician community. There's nothing better than like having someone bring a guitar and then being like, man, this really just isn't working. I, I need help or... I just got off the road and it's, you know, it's busted. I, it's not ringing right. And then like fixing it and giving it back to them and then just seeing their face light up like, yes, this was my instrument. Thank you. It's back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I love that. I love building relationships with people through guitar and bass and music. It's really special to me as well. All right. Well, you guys go check out Matt's YouTube and hit him up on Instagram. And thanks again, Matt. This has been so fun. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening and please feel free to rate this podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. You can share it, leave a comment, or continue the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Substack. Just look us up at Mint for Good Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Byron Saul. He provided financial support and overall encouragement for the engineering and production of today's interview. If you would like to contribute towards future episodes, you can email me, mintforgoodpodcast at gmail.com.